What's up, everybody? You are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And uh, we are so glad to be back with you for another week talking all things film. Today on the show, we have a fantastic interview in our feature presentation segment. We will be talking to Marissa Lessman and Luke Taylor from Phil the Film, the screenwriter and one of the producers, respectively. Uh, they're going to be talking a little bit about you know the uh, the process of filmmaking when you're first starting out. Both of them did uh, have their masters in uh, in fine arts um, in screenwriting. Both of them, they're divvying up their responsibilities a little bit, and they get into you know the uh, what people don't really hear a lot about film, which is the pre production process and raising the funds and where the idea for this movie came from. It's it's a strange one. It's a romantic comedy about breakups. Like what happens to all those memories you have of a uh of someone in the nude specifically <laughs> when you break up it's a little bit uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind meets kevin smith there you go i think that's a pretty good way to put it and i know they would like that because they are both uh into that sort of comedy so we'll talk to them a little bit about that and then in our C segment, we kind of prep everybody for this big month of October. Uh, it's a big month because, well, Halloween is this month, and people kind of do this month-long celebration of horror this uh, this October, and all Octobers, for that matter, both past, present, and future <laughs> Octobers. So we kind of dig into what we're going to be watching over the next month. Um, listeners to the show know that we talk about horror a lot. It's a fantastic genre. It's a place where new filmmakers usually go first low budget and where a lot of really great ideas happen so we really want to get ready to celebrate the genre of horror with everyone who listens to the show but first uh we're going to talk a little bit of news some news here we go so connor what's first up on the docket there's a big controversy going on and i'm going to throw it right to you give us the details so harry knowles if you're not familiar with who harry knowles is uh he is a film critic and he is a writer known for the website ain't it cool news which started in uh 1996 and uh he uh, Harry Knowles is also a member of the Austin Film Critics Association. Mm-hmm. He has been involved with such you know acts as Siskel and Ebert, and been in a bunch of documentaries about the film critic world. But um, he has come under fire recently due to several allegations now, which have uh, come to light about his uh, sexual misconduct uh, in at the Alamo Draft House specifically. Yeah, he's a big member of the Austin film community, which if you follow the film world, Austin is a huge hub, uh, specifically because of Alamo Draft House. It's a pretty great company, but they've been seeing a lot of trouble over the last few years with sexual misconduct. Now, Harry specifically has been accused of improper conduct at the Alamo Draft House, yes. at Alamo Draft House events, correct? Yes, and as these things sort of, uh, the nature of these things is it's always one person finally gets the courage to speak up, and the the woman that has come forward, uh, Jasmine Baker, said that she was sexually assaulted by Harry Knowles on two occasions at the Draft House. Um, now, I do think that it's important to remember that uh, while there has been a lot of public backlash and a lot of people have severed ties with Harry Knowles, at the time, this was this is 17 years old, these allegations, mm-hmm. and at the time, the Alamo Drafthouse didn't do anything in response to it. Yeah, they pretty much let it happen. Whether it was, I think there is some uh, dispute as to whether they knew about it. I'm I'm pretty sure that they knew 
that Harry was being a certain type of way, and mm-hmm. they kind of played it off in this boys' club sort of way. And I would also like to make the statement that regardless of how old accusations are in the case of these and in the case of a lot of uh, allegations or accusations that come forth many time, many years after the fact, they're no less valid. No, it does not diminish the fact that this happened. Yes. Um, I think it's important that we take it seriously and listen to people who have uh, been, I guess, I don't know if victim is the right way. It's the one that's coming to mind, but people who have been victimized by people who do this sort of thing and having to deal with um, someone of that stature in the film community kind of going on and keeping their prestige and nothing really being done about it. And this isn't the only problem that uh, the Alamo Drafthouse company has had with sexual assault. Uh, Devin Faraci, who was a longtime critic for the Alamo Drafthouse company for their site Birth Movies Death, formerly known as Bad Badass Digest. He was also a podcast host for Earwolf at one point for a podcast called The Canon, which I, I remember I listened to all the time. And uh, it wasn't too, too long ago that he also had some allegations come up and he had to step away from the podcast and claimed to have stepped away. He did step away from Birth Movies Death as a writer. But the problem is, is that Tim League, owner of the owner and creator of the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema franchise, uh, pretty much kept him on as a copywriter. People found out that Devin Faraci was writing copy for Alamo Drafthouse, specifically for Fantastic Fest, which is their film festival that goes on every year. And it resulted in people leaving the company. There were two high-ranking employees that once they found out that Devin was still working for Alamo Drafthouse, they walked away. And uh, I would like to applaud them for sticking to their conviction and saying, like, I'm going to walk away from this as a result. As a result. It's terrible that he would be... I don't, I, at that that he would still be around and that Tim League would keep it underneath the rug. Yeah, exactly. It's like a passive reward, even though all of these allegations had been brought against him and there's no real seemingly consequence for doing it, which is a terrible um, is a terrible uh, standard to be setting. Yeah, and specifically one of the people that left is longtime Fantastic Fest programmer and film producer Todd Brown. He was shocked to learn. He had no idea. He had no idea that Devin Faraci was still writing, and he did uh, release an, uh, a statement about the bigger epidemic that's going on in the specifically the Austin film community, but also all around film communities in the United States and probably all around the world. He said uh, that Fantastic Fest and the Draft House is just the geek-friendly equivalent of the classic old boys club, and that's a really good way to sum it up, I would think. Yeah, Hollywood and film in general does seem to be, especially in the last 40 or 50 years, has become increasingly uh, male-dominated. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that now that these things are com- becoming public and there are ways of these stories being shared and people are really, you know, they're digging deep and gaining the courage to talk about these things that happened almost 20 years ago because those scars don't really heal. Like, they have to deal with that sort of thing. They have to deal with the knowledge that that happened to them forever while people like Harry Knowles and Devin Faraci continue to be mainstays in the Austin film community. It's just so unfair exactly, that they would have to deal with that. So after it was revealed that 
Devin Faraci was still writing copy. De- Mr. Faraci stepped away. He was officially gone from the company. He put in another resignation, as it were, to uh, to step away. And also, it looks like Harry Knowles has stepped away from Ain't It Cool. He has. And um, odds are, who knows if he's going to come back. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe it's time for him to be done because this is too serious. You can't put your trust in a news source for any sort of uh media even you know whether it's you know hard news or something like entertainment journalism you need to be able to trust that the people you're reading are good people and if you know that he is a toxic member of the austin film community um he needs to be gone exactly and he's been he's been kicked out of the austin film critics association or he has been and several people have also severed ties with Knowles, including alamo draft house mm-hmm. so uh, I guess better late than never. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's it stinks because you you want you will you would have wanted this to happen sooner, but you have to take what you get, and it's and it sucks and it's that sad. this is that this yeah. is what you have to get. That twenty years later of these people having to live with um, being sexually assaulted and se- you know being the victims of sexual misconduct on the part of these uh, male power figures that n- now they finally get their chance to tell their story and have some action taken. So um, no one really knows what's next for Alamo Draft House. Uh, they were really kind of a symbol for this alternative film you know, experience. They really pushed this idea of making going to the theater an event. They're extremely well known for that. Um, Tim League even has gotten into the business of producing films under his uh, Neon label, which recently had the release of Ingrid Goes West. So who knows where what's going to happen with the rest of the company? Hopefully, things. Hopefully, this just means that things are going to change. Yes. At the end of the day. So, because um, if you're in charge of a community, you are also in charge of the administration of including everybody within that community. Yeah. If you are going to be a figurehead in in the Austin film community or any film community, you must be re- you must take action and be willing to take responsibility. So hopefully this is a step forward and we can start to address these issues in the film community. And uh, actually coming out of Hollywood, Connor, you've got a story of different. Uh, you know, Alicia Vikander yeah, is taking I, this head on. I do think that it's important to take a look at the the notion of the Hollywood gender gap mm-hmm. because obviously there are these things happening with Harry Knowles and and everybody and all of these other people who have had these charges levied against them uh it's important to take a look at where film started with female involvement and where it has come so last year for example less than five percent of all major hollywood movies were directed by women and there were about 250 let's Mm say that's a rounded number but anyway Women obviously have always been in the background as producers or writers in films, but now they're sort of starting to be able to step into the light and be actually take their own direction with their films. And it seems like this is a step forward, but for people who are familiar with cinema, the history of cinema, particularly in the silent era, female directors were not a rarity. And they it does seem sort of strange now that they're that it slowed down. Mm-hmm. However, Alicia Vikander, uh, who is the star of such films as Ex Machina, uh, The Danish Girl, Jason Bourne, and now the uh, reboot of Tomb Raider, has launched her own production company called Vicarious Productions, 
and is currently touring, uh, doing a press tour for their first film, which is Euphoria. And it's a, a very diverse film. It's directed by Lisa Langseth, has a British actor Charlotte Rampling, and the music is composed by Lisa Holmquist. And Alicia Vikander uh, is quick to mention that while she is has an eye on uh, shortening or um, mitigating this Hollywood gender gap, she does mention they're obviously only looking for the most qualified people for the job. But it was one of the most diverse projects that she's ever worked on, this Euphoria film. Mm -hmm. She said that she was in four straight movies where she didn't share screen time with another woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, despite all of the, you know, all of the darkness that you can sort of find anywhere on this subject, Alicia Vikander has a very positive outlook concerning the progression of closing this gap. Mm She thinks that it is closing, uh, largely due to the fact that people are talking more about it and that that essentially is the way towards making people more aware and ultimately uh, making the way towards change, which is why we wanted to discuss this. Yeah, and uh, you know, mad props to Alicia Vikander for being able to recognize and making steps to do that in her own, in her own career. Um, sometimes... Well, I, I find it interesting that she did she did make a point to mention that she's only picking the most qualified candidates as if she's trying to satisfy the people who believe in this kind of meritocracy where it's right. like, oh, I don't care if they're men or women or black or Asian or any sort of, you know, I don't care what their race is. I don't see color. I only care about who's the best for the position. And I feel like that's sometimes a crutch that people fall on to say, hey, I'm not racist. I'm just picking the best for the position. Right. But, you know, when it comes to certain things, you have to be making a conscious effort. Um, I think you've got a story. We, we've got the new um, remake of Flatliners coming yes. out. So they had this original source material, a movie starring uh, – Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, Sutherland, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon, Kevin Bacon as well. So they have this source material and they're remaking it and they clearly made a conscious effort to make a more diverse cast. That does not mean that anything towards the quality of the movie. It means that they're making a conscious effort to be inclusive, to be inclusive. There's no reason this story of flatliners needs to be about one sort of thing. And it does not denigrate you know anybody's quality of acting simply because their pick they're just like you know what we need to be more inclusive let's have someone like diego luna let's have um they cast three women yeah. which i think there was only really one female main character yeah, in the Julie original Roberts. yeah they yeah they cast diego luna they cast um ellen Ellen Page. Ellen Page. That's it. I, uh, I almost. And then there are all. <laughs> I want to say Ellen Ripley. Yeah. <laughs> but they 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 clearly made a point to make the cast more diverse. And as we've seen in the past, diversity sells in a sense that people want to see themselves represented in film. So it's not a meritocracy. It's making a conscious effort to cast people that represent your audience and to be as realistic as possible. Also. Yeah. Right. Like why why would there not be. Uh, someone like Diego Luna in this movie. Why would there not be multiple female characters in the in a movie like this? You know, Ellen Page. She is. I, I keep Ellen Ripley. I keep wanting to say Ellen Ripley. <laughs> That's okay. Um, That's Ellen okay, Page man. is. I mean, she is gay. 
she she is a gay woman and she was cast i'm sure she wasn't cast because she's a gay woman but she's cast to give this story some i don't know just some reality because that's the real world we live in we don't live in a world where it's all just white people doctors because that's bullshit that's just not real exactly and now that ellen page has been in, they also added another couple of uh female cast members as well one of which is uh, african-american and another is of bulgarian descent and then obviously like you mentioned diego luna being from uh from mexico fantastic i mean it's just so it's so easy you know it's uh a movie that we mention a lot get out yeah, um, exactly. And it, it was so easy. They just cast like I mean, granted, the story lends itself to that experience. But when you make a story about an alter, like a, a different experience than we're used to, the we make a when you make a movie that is, uh, I guess, an alternative to just this typical white male sort of story. It sells better. It does better because people want to see themselves represented. And now, um, not to labor too long on the West Coast, Tom, would you mind uh, picking up our bags and heading over to the tropics? Maybe talk a little Bali. Oh, please do. Are you down? Yeah, I've got my I've got my shirts packed. My underwear is folded. All right, good. Going over to Bali, if you're familiar with this, uh, it is a beautiful country. So, in a place like this, where the weather is constantly beautiful and you have all of these beaches, it might seem strange that there is a uh, market for people who want to sit in a cold, dark room and watch <laughs> movies, but. Bali has its own festival, own film festival called Bali Nale, and uh, it has uh, recently had its eleventh, eleventh uh, what screening, eleventh yeah, iteration. 11th, yeah, it's eleventh year. And after anything has been around for ten years, you're going to need to make some changes to it, likely lest it risk losing its relevance. And film festivals are no different, especially in a place like Bali. And the uh, the Balinale has recently been lauded for the changes it's made to its infrastructure and the way that it's handled the unique challenges that their country affords people who want to sit in a cold room and watch movies. <laughs> um, they added a competitive section to their films where films can sort of, uh, uh, based on at the audience's behest, you know, sort of um, rise to the top in that mm-hmm. sort of, you know, in that spirit of competition. And uh, they've also added a small industry conference to their docket, which is what we're going to spend most of our time talking about with this story. Uh, it has engaged itself more with international markets like the Indonesian industry. And at the conference, they discussed film development, uh, screenwriting, raised the specter of investing in new technology for the Bal- Balian film industry. Um, and this might not seem this might seem like rather uh blase or something but you have to understand that films in bali on average the budget for a film in bali is around two hundred thousand dollars so talks like this are much more difficult than one might imagine right when you have when you're trying to grow a film industry like that's going to be tough because i mean we're talking about you're going to need to start putting serious cash like two hundred thousand dollars is nothing to bulk at but when it comes to film production two hundred thousand dollars is virtually nothing especially if you're familiar with the kinds of ridiculous budgets that Hollywood films shell out every oh, year. Oh, for sure. I mean, Get Out was considered a uh, low-budget movie, and that had a minimum of, like, $5 million. Yep. And uh, also on this conference docket, a lack of diversity and uh, infrastructure were discussed for Balinale. Uh, and if they make changes to that going forward, it could bring in some outside investment 
into the market. Now, uh, I do think that this is interesting. Deborah Gabinetti, who is the founder of the festival, says that their crowd is actually is a pretty tough one. Obviously, they have to compete with the tropical climate and the natural splendor of Bali. But uh, surprisingly, the people that are requesting the the films that they the kind of films that they want to see, they want to see difficult films that challenge their perception and uh, engage them in a way that something, you know, like just a normal Hollywood action film otherwise wouldn't. And they uh, um, they brought the number of screenings this year above 100, and they are closing the event with uh, last year's Academy Award winner, uh, Moonlight. Fantastic. Well, that's I mean, that's just great to hear more film communities popping up around the world and how they can be different from one another. Uh, it's great to hear that they they want difficult films. I mean, I'm sure it's not easy to get Hollywood films in uh, in Bali. I'm sure they can get. I mean, I'm sure they can get them, but you know, there's extra cost involved and everything like that to have a film, uh, an inter what would be considered, I guess, an international film to come there. But I'm glad that they're utilizing this festival as a as a way to be outside of that. Exactly. Like they know what Holly, they know Hollywood yeah. just as anybody else does. And they're like, you know what, if we're going to have this special festival that highlights the Bali film community and like, you know, highlights our tastes, we want it the way we want it. And, and I really like that. Exactly. And to sort of tie it back to our previous conversation about that gender gap, it is uh, encouraging to see that such a young film festival in such a, in a country with a relatively fledgling film industry has its sights on the future. And in those sites are greater inclusion, inclusivity and greater diversity in their films. All right. Well, that is a great place to end on a nice positive note. Uh, we're going to be moving on to our, uh, not coming soon. Pardon me. Mm. We're going to be moving on to our feature film presentation, our feature presentation segment where we talk to Marissa Lessman and Luke Taylor, the screenwriter and one of the producers of a new movie called Phil the Film, a raunchy look at what happens to our memories of previous breakups when we move on and uh it's a great one fantastic guest today uh you are listening to noco cinema here on wgm plus remember we are your guide to cinema here in the city of chicago and all around the world we'll be back in just a moment with marissa lassman and luke taylor Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And right now we're going to get into our feature presentation segment, talking to uh, people all around Chicago who are making films, exhibiting films, doing lots of stuff with films. And today we are so lucky. We've got two people here. They are working on a, fil- a film called Fill the, the film. film. It's a little bit of a, it's a tongue twist. But we're excited to be talking to him. We have screenwriter Marissa Lessman. And 
That's that bow was Marissa Lessman. <laughs> She's so that's how you in. know she is bowing into the conversation. And uh, whimsical producer Luke Taylor bow. That second bow is Luke Taylor. <laughs> and now we've got a full room. Now we do have a full room. It's been a while since we've had this type of interview. It's been a minute, but we're very glad to have both of you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Tom and Connor. So, uh, fill the film. Can we? Let's just start there. What is this movie about? Oh, it's about so much. Um, it's kind of turned into not only like a Chicago love story, meaning like a love story to Chicago about things and places and people that inhabit Chicago. Um, but Phil is a romantic comedy about um, kind of like what happens when you uh, break up with somebody. So like the kind of like brainchild was I have a couple friends that have been dating on and off for like a decade. And I was thinking to myself, like they've seen each other naked, like probably 3000 times. Right. So like <laughs> what happens to that catalog of nudies, you know, like does that when you break up with somebody, do you have to force yourself not to look at that do, or to look at them that way when you see them or do you try to like fizzle it out or like, you know, kind of in the same way of like erasing memories like from Eternal Sunshine? But with penises. Yeah, sure. Cool. So, so and so that like kind of stumbled me to think like, okay, well, when you're in a relationship with somebody, you guys have all this shared history. So you have like uh, food you guys liked, places you went for the first time, things you did together. And where does all that stuff go when a, somebody breaks up? Does it go like into the ether or where? So Phil, the character, is the physical manifestation of this one couple's shared history. So Phil shows up after this couple breaks up very suddenly. And he, the his purpose initially is not really clear. But you think that he is there because this couple broke up and his whole point on Earth is to bring this couple back together. And do they or don't they? So you're trying to take a different approach to the romantic comedy. Something with a little yes. bit more uh, spice, a little yes. bit more, uh, you know, mm -hmm. naughtiness. I definitely yeah. get a little bit of that spice from your online presence. Me? The film, not yours, specifically the films. Oh. The, Phil films the film presence. Yeah. I, like, That's cool. uh, I have to ask about on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first thing I noticed was there is an adorable, uh, apparently nude man. Yes. As the the uh, picture, and I was yes. like, okay. And I love the tagline, coming to a breakup near you. Yes. So this large, nude man, and he is nude. Yes, listen, though, crazy thing. So that dude is this really, really big guy in Mexico. He's a big guy because he's a big guy. But he's also like has this huge Instagram following in Mexico. And I don't know what his name is, but I Googled big large gay <laughs> man and he was the first one that came up and I don't really speak Spanish very well but I was like I want to use his photos because he has like these it's like a grass series where he's like in a field he has flowers and he has no shirt on and he just he looks just it's it's his bliss he looks Sounds very gorgeous. happy yeah. yeah so he um I wrote to him and he our language we had a we had literally had to like google translate our conversation because he couldn't speak any English and I can't really speak Spanish and he was like 
can I come see the movie? Am I in the movie? And I was like, well, sir, hold on. I liked your photo. I liked your photo. And he was like, okay, great. So am I in the movie? Like, I'm in the movie? I'm in, am I acting now? And I was like, you're just a model. Oh. I was like, you are just a face, sir, and a tummy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's got to be a tough thing to explain to someone like, I'm using you for your body. Yes, your I literally. beautiful body. Your beautiful, majestic. Grass covered. Grass covered, just scraping and itching. A I love sweaty, you. I would say. Also. Yeah, also, I liked because he was always sweating. And all of his, he takes so many selfies of him. And they like just, he, he, I think he has a little bit of a drinking problem. <laughs> I mean, or that's just where he tends to have his most social moments. Sure. Sometimes he's pouring alcohol over his head. Wow. Yeah, so he likes to party. As a sensual party animal. Yeah. So you are the screenwriter, yes. Marissa. Um, tell me, where did you get this idea? Because it's super well fleshed out. Like, uh, and you mentioned that you had seen people in breakups. Yeah. How did you decide to get that onto paper? I don't know. We, Luke and I were in a feature film writing class in grad school, and we had to have an idea, like, I don't know, the first week. Yeah, Second it was like week. three log lines. Bring in, you know, three potential. Yeah, pitches. and I was like, I have, I, I want, I went to school to be a television writer, so I was like, I don't really want to. I don't know. I don't have anything that has more than thirty pages longevity in my head. Like, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't. I'm not used to writing endings. I guess if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. like. I want things to keep going and make more money, but you know, obviously, a feature film is this like finite thing. Um, and then I just started thinking about those two people because something happened, and they came back up into my life, and I I had always thought this about them because they kept breaking up, getting back together, and I was like, are they like drawn to each other? Like, I, I just don't know. And then we started talking about information, baby. So this like baby worth of information and the actually somebody in my screenwriter in our features class was like hey i didn't think of phil as like a baby because i was thinking of it as like a baby like a like three men and a baby (laughs) like what are we gonna do with this baby that poops you know and somebody in my class was like why did why can't it be like a middle-aged guy that's just like like just a just like a, like a peers, like a hairy, just like a man baby, like a baby <laughs> that is a man, like a maybe, yes. a maybe, very good. So like a man child is what I say, but and then it just kind of spiraled. Um, I had, I don't remember how I came to the conclusion that I wanted the two main actors to be, um, a LGBT couple, uh, two men, um. And for that, that's been kind of a question, I guess, a lot of people have, is why. Um, and I don't... Can you shed any light? I can. Thank yeah. You. So Thank you. Please. We were, I remember when you originally pitched this, you said, hey, so I think we can make this. It's called Information Baby. And it's going to be a short, and it's going to be about 30 minutes long, mm-hmm. and we're going to just make it this summer, and it's no problem. And it turned into Phil, which was like... Hey, what if it was like Gal- Zach Galifianakis playing Phil? Yes. Like, you know I mean, obviously we're not gonna get Zach, Zachy G. Yeah, Zachy G. But it turned into that whole thing. And somewhere along the way, I mean, I remember it was in your original pitch to me. We were like at a train station or something, yeah, or, like going to yeah. class, and you were like, you know, and you know, I think 
um, I don't think you were like setting out to be like, let's do a romantic comedy that changes, like, you know, takes the form and runs with it in a different direction. But you said to me, I really think it'd be interesting to make a movie about two gay guys that has nothing to do with the fact that they're gay. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know I like I mean? that. I like that a lot because mm-hmm. it seems that, you know, um, I, one of the problems sometimes I see in movies is that when they put LGBT characters in there, like it's great to have their representation and some, but sometimes they focus so much on the fact that they yeah. are LGBT characters mm-hmm. that we kind of don't get to know them outside of that. Yeah. It's so just tokenism. Yeah. A yeah, little bit. Uh huh. And I remember, you know, talking with some people that are a little bit older and them being like, well, if they're LGBT, like that cuts your demographic. So, but to me, wow. I didn't. I didn't think of it as that at all. I thought of it as like, or we're making this group of people that deserves equality and a story, just like everybody else. Yeah, just have a story. story. Yeah, it's just a love story. It just happens to be a love story with two guys instead of a man and a woman, and. Um, there are quite a few women that are in this movie, and I have been um, told that I don't, I just don't, I don't write, not that I don't write women well, but a lot of the women are not uh, shitty, like <laughs> a little vapid and things like that. And I just, I always thought that was really interesting because I, I've always just really identified more with like writing more complex male characters. And maybe that's just because that's what I've been exposed to in cinema my whole life. Sure. Um, I just, I wrote a pilot. My thesis pilot is starring a woman. Um, and I was like, Oh, thank God. Cause people are going to be like, you are a woman hating woman. Um, but I'm just a guy-loving gal. There you go. Wow. Nothing wrong with that. Nice. Nothing wrong with being a guy-loving gal. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that both you and Luke went to grad school. You guys were in the same... Uh, you went to DePaul? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I wanted to ask a little bit about going to film school, because yeah. I did not go to film school. Connor did not, did not. go to film school. No. Cool. So I think a lot of people have this idea of what going to film school is like. And then there's what it's actually like going to film school. Maybe you two could shed a little light on getting an education in film. You want to go? Yeah. You're up. Okay. I'll give it a shot. So I think uh, film school is probably different if you're not a screenwriter. Like, I think uh, if you're going to be a director or a producer or, like, you know, something like that, you're, like, physically having to, like, construct films with no experience previously. But we're kind of just, like, it's like, I don't know, writing plus like i did creative writing in like undergrad and this was just a logical transition because at the end of the day we could make it as cheap or expensive as we wanted like like we didn't have that that was not our problem we were just like gonna write the best story possible and that's somebody else's deal yeah so there's that and it's not really um i i don't it's not that difficult uh if if like you can just sort of um you know take what your professors say seriously like i feel like the only people that had trouble were the people that were like i know more than you even though like you've you've written for saturday night live and you've made several different films all on your own and like stuff like that and i think as long as you don't have like that know-it-all attitude Mm -hmm. and just like listen and learn and understand that Mm -hmm. like this medium has a structure and once you understand that you can break it i think a lot of people are just too hard-headed to you know yeah does that make sense yeah um i the reason why i went to graduate school because i had been i went to school to be an actor an undergrad and um decided really quickly that i just i'm not can't do it 
can't take the heat. I got out of the kitchen. Yeah. I got out of the whole house because it was burning. Um, and um, I started playwriting, and I was initially going to go to school, graduate school, to be a playwright. And then I ended up moving to L.A., and then I came back. And I just really wanted... Um, I know that, like, I just wasn't getting good feedback, meaning, like, uh, helpful, constructive feedback. I was sending it to, I went through the writing program at I.O., which was helpful, but again, it's not school. It's not, like, accredited program where people are, I mean, you're you're paying a, prof- uh, uh, you know, somebody who knows what's up, but... You, it wasn't the one-on-one kind of feedback that I really wanted because I was getting, you know, I mean, everybody has an opinion, right? But it was like, I was either getting like, oh my God, this is so great. Don't change anything to like, what are you doing? Like, go eat a bagel and leave me alone. You know? Wow. So I just wasn't getting anything that I felt really constructive. So, and also I came come from a theater background and I didn't know that many filmmakers and I know that there is a you know a significant scene here and so I went to film school so I could meet people that I wanted to collaborate with and get real ass feedback and I feel like I got both of those in abundance like I met not only did I meet great filmmakers but I met the best friends I've ever had like real people that are mature that help me without a hidden agenda and so that's been that was the the best gift I could have ever gotten was great collaborations good friendships and meeting because the thing about DePaul I mean DePaul's a a great school oh absolutely Um, the you know they're newer Mm -hmm. and the teachers have a wide range of expertise Um, you know the thing that I I as a I don't not even like to be like a you know I'm a woman whatever but I didn't get taught by any women which is okay I got the education I got and I'm really grateful for it um, and I know they're really working hard on trying to get more you know diversity in within the education the teaching program uh, within the teachers um, but it would have been nice to have a little bit of that. Um, perspective just because it's so different it can be very different for men versus women and people of color things like that so that would be my only thing if anything but I would not like I would not be the writer that I am had I not gone because it just we were just turning out so much work like the amount of work we did in two years I and I was thinking to myself like writing right now is difficult for me and I was thinking, like, why? And I was talking to Luke about it. And I was like, it just like, cause, because I'm producing so much right now, which is awesome. But I just, we wrote our asses off for two years. Like, how, like, many, how many scripts do you feel that you oh, produced? Oh, uh, we wrote a feature film. Multiple drafts. Of multiple, like, multiple drafts of features. a feature. Yeah. A thesis, which was in itself. I wrote a pilot. Luke wrote a film. Um, another pilot. Uh, two spec scripts, so based on existing television shows. I wrote a third one for my thesis because we had to do two. Um, SNL packets. Oh, yes. SNL packets, uh, late night packet, yep. um, joke, just a joke packet. 
Um, Do they really push like the the SNL late night thing? No, we no, just happen to be taught by the best man it, in the yeah, world. Oh, okay, the Michael McCarthy. Shout Michael out, Michael McCarthy. We love you. Yeah, love you, love you, love you, yeah. love you. Because that's something I see a lot in um, even in just creative writing programs. Like I knew someone that went through the creative creative writing program at um, at Northwestern, mm. and like writing SNL stuff was like a big component of that. They're like, oh, if you want to write, know how to write comedy, you need to know how to write for an SNL thing. What was that like trying to adapt to a style? It's really interesting. You know, it's just, I think it's a Chicago thing, you know, because like they are churning out talent for Saturday Night Live here. And that's why a lot of people move here is like specifically for that reason. And I think that now that Second City has the Harold Ramis school, I think that a lot of people that have that specific aspirations are just going to go there because I mean, not saying that going to film school is great. I mean, it's a school, but it's not an accredited university, mm-hmm. but it's a comedy writing school. So, like, if that's what you want to do, you probably have a pretty good shot if you, you know, stay humble and you're talented, do the work. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's just an interesting thing, like being a comedy writer, because everyone always just presumes that that's what you want to do. Is get on SNL. And, uh, I mean, it's super tight. I would be f- sure. so psyched. Um, I want to get on the Eric Andre show. That's what I want. Oh, my <laughs> God. As a writer? Are can... You just, can you just call yourself the room destroyer? And you I'd can just love destroy it. all the rooms? <laughs> you know? Do they write that into the script, do you think? Yeah, they just right, tell him exactly what he has to do. All right, I want you to like, beat yourself in the genitals with a fish. At eleven forty three, it's time to destroy. And now you need to run into the drummer. Yeah. But he's I mean, like, there it's just the way that the world is going right now and the way like through DePaul, I actually found that I am more on the dramatic side of comedy. That like the things that I'm most interested in, um, have a little more heart and dysfunction. Yeah, I can I can kind of gather that just from the concept of the film is that mm-hmm. you're exploring comedy through I, I guess tragedy, pain. yeah, pain, tragedy. I mean, that's what they—that's my favorite saying about comedy—is that comedy is tragedy plus time. Ugh, word. So that seems like a lot of fun to be exploring this. What would you say were some of your influences getting to this point? Uh, filmmakers, wise. Yeah, filmmakers, films, even television. Um, well, I am a diehard, unhealthy Friends fan. Uh, my entire <laughs> life, it is a huge 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 part of why i am the way that i am and why i am doing what i'm doing um it's definitely like not the way the avenue that my writing has gone but it influences just so much of who i am as a person so marta kaufman david crane the people that created friends are very important to me um and i'm gonna meet them i'm not worried about it um also as the performers go like lisa kudrow is my favorite she's just i I'm a, i love her she made the comeback on HBO. I don't know if you've watched it, but it's a mockumentary mm-hmm. style show. And she's just absolutely brilliant. So she said something on a podcast a couple of weeks ago about how she loves comedy about people getting caught. And I love that. And I was like, that's exactly right. Like, that's exactly what I love. That's what I love is like people constantly getting caught doing things that are shitty or being shitty people or being close minded people. I just think that's really funny. Um but in for filmmakers too, I um super bad, 
Superbad is huge. Superbad's why why I actually really decided I wanted to do it. I think that's a movie that we would all because we're, we're all roughly the same age. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a pretty landmark comedy moment Agreed. for a lot of us. Yep. Um, especially in terms of you know they say every generation has their kind of high school slash college movie. Yep. You know you've got mm-hmm. Animal House, Porky's, American Pie. Breakfast I feel like Club, yeah. yeah bre- <laughs> Breakfast Club. I mean, and it's it's uh, super bad. Is that one? Oh yeah, where it's like just the raunchy, gross so out comedy important. with heart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is it. Like I I would draw dicks for the rest of my life. Like that's <laughs> it. And I think that's like a big thing that connects Luke and I is because we is drawing dicks. Um, yeah, definitely. drawing dicks, uh, talking about dicks. I think the other night we were having a conversation saying we knew we knew. We know we're going to make it as filmmakers when we're allowed to put as many as many just flaccid dicks flaccid, into our but real real <laughs> ones. That's the metric. Like, as many if we can do like twelve plus full frontals, I think yeah. we'll know we've made it. Boom. And we, they don't have to be famous people even. Mine. Like, I mean, not yeah. mine. I mean, well, uh, what? Uh, uh, my yours. My, well, sure. Yeah, it could be anybody's. We can do Luke's. Uh, yeah. Luke, how about yourself? I mean, you and I have talked at length. Oh, sure. Uh, before about this, Luke and I. We uh we hang out, yeah. I guess we pop popcorn at the theater at yeah. the El Teatro. Um, but let everybody know what are some of your influences coming into this. Um, so I'm definitely a disciple of like three main saviors. Um, Zack Snyder. No, not Zack Snyder. Uh, For the love of God. <laughs> no, uh, I'm very much of the Judd Apatow school. I'm a Kevin Smith disciple. Uh, I'm a big, big, big enthusiast of Richard Linklater. Sort of uh three writers, directors that uh, take the comedy, but they take it seriously and uh, walk the fine line of like like dramedy and not just like, you know, drama for laughs, but like honestly, truly like looking into characters and saying like, these people are real people Mm -hmm. and not just like characters you so often see in like studio films. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that why Superbad is so great is because, you know, Superbad's a studio film that seems like an indie movie because mm-hmm. there's so much care taken to the characters mm-hmm. so much like true true emotion and love for one another mm-hmm. that uh you don't often see it's sort of like you know a lot of the especially now in like august september when like there's nothing really coming out mm-hmm. like you know what i mean like those are the movies where it's like this person wrote a spec script and sold it and we're gonna get a name or two and sort of paint by number and yep. this is a film right guys and the audience is like yeah <laughs> but you know, I mean, in a way, it's just like super bad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a spec script for super. It, yep. It Stephen yep. King's it yep. is Stephen super King's bad, despite the fact that the novel bad. was written like at what thirty uh, years ago. Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. Who knows? Yeah, Who knows? So, um, the fill the film is yes. in its production stage. Yeah, we're in pre-production right now, which means we're. Gearing up, um, we have all of our locations locked. Um, we a bunch uh, a big bulk of the film takes place in an apartment, and we were initially using a friends of mine apartment, but we didn't want to like kick somebody out or even try to find a place that we could shoot in for like upwards of ten days. So we started looking on Airbnb, and we got really lucky. We have this sick place. It is so great. It's perfect. It's huge. I'm gonna live there. Um, and we're probably going to shoot another short in there while we're shooting Phil because we have, it's such a huge space. Wow. We're shooting a film inside a film. Yeah. Film inside film. Yeah. Yeah. That's full. Did you like rent it out or? Yeah. So it's just literally like when you go on Airbnb to 
check out any place. I just had to write them. And the guy who we ended, we're ending up going with, um, it's just like really cool. And yeah. it's, it's amazing how people respond when you tell them you're making a movie. Like people are just like, Oh, are you? Oh, well, really? I, I must, movie? I must say, I must interject and say like, I wonder what his first thought was when you went on Airbnb and said, I'd like to make a movie inside your oh, apartment. Porn. And it's like, yeah. what, yeah, yeah. what kind of movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, Or like, you know, small Jewish girl slays four. Yeah. You know, like I get it. Yeah. Um, but he was actually really cool. Like, and I guess it happens all the time. Like a lot of the people that I had talked to were like, yeah, you know, we did like a, a rap party here or something like that. So oh, wow. like, I guess it's not, it's not it, that uncommon. It's not that uncommon, but it's, they're really scared. Like, yeah. but the thing is, is that, I mean, shit does happen. People take people's stuff and like people are Leave shady behind. and yeah. Leave like behind fluids. So many fluids. Yeah. You know, blood and semen everywhere. But All not us. No, not us, right? Allegedly. Well, just semen. Well, no, yeah, not us. Yeah, Step, yeah. If you're listening, Airbnb. Rendered. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you. Jeremy, shout out. Hopefully they made it past the penises bit. Because... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So well, we, uh, yeah, so we, uh, we got that awesome place. So the thing that is we have to shoot first are the all the exterior shots because it's going to start getting cold. Right. Um and we have a scene we actually had to talk about last week because the way I wrote it in my like idea brain and like my ideal world is that Phil is running down Michigan Avenue completely naked and and producer got, Luke is like, yeah. ah, you know, we had this moment. We got really far, though. I mean, the script like, has been in development for two years, we, and it took two years for someone to be like, maybe we can't do it. No, we we cast this thing like not the summer, but the summer before. Like we've had this together. We've done readings. I've read the script like more than I've read anything. Like it's ridiculous. And la- like mm. two nights ago, we were just like, wait, so we can't. We can't show <laughs> naked dick outside. I think that's how it led to the conversation yeah. of how we know we've made it. Because, yeah, like, because you know, we could. Uh, once I, yeah. once yeah. I'm able to like shut down streets for Phil to run out naked. So I was like, um, so yeah, you can probably just write a sight gag here, right? Can mm-hmm. you just wear like small clothing, any clothing? Yeah. Yeah. Because like, the whole thing is he appears in these guys' apartment naked, like as he's birthed. <laughs> and since these guys are exponentially smaller than him he's gonna throw on something like i like one of their tank tops or i was thinking like i don't know just like something lame like a tiki bar or t-shirt or something something that like fits that doesn't fit him well right so it's actually better the nakedness is for my own glee but and he's just gonna take one of their articles of clothing. yeah and just he throw it on sure i really wanted that. like you know when um in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, when you can hear Jason Siegel's penis flap back and yeah. forth. That's what I really wanted. <laughs> I really, really wanted it so bad. And maybe we'll get it. it was, but I know. wanted to wear him to wear like a not like a jersey, but something that just covers, but not the tip, so we can hear the tip flapping when he's running. Uh, sound guy, can you get in there with the boom? Yeah, I yeah. need you to get real close. Yeah. I need you, I'm gonna need you to get. You're gonna follow him. Touch it because he's gonna be he's gonna be slapping, slapping he's brain. Be slapping. Uh, I have a question about like the working relationship with you being the screenwriter, Marissa, and you being the producer. Um, you know, like this whole thing on Michigan Avenue, there's the expectation and the reality. Um, how do you guys figure that out together? Getting the getting the vision that you wrote down and making it reality through production and all that kind of stuff. Well, we get a lot of help because there's other producers as well. I mean, we have a great director. Uh, Justin Bailey. Yeah. Word. Shout. 
Yeah, shout out. And then we, you know, Justin as well as uh, Edwin, our, our other big producer. Yeah, Edwin Weiss, shout. Mondo Machines, shout out. It's a joint venture. And uh, so it's not it's not one person doing all the work, you know what I mean? Sure. So it's a lot of like, a lot of times when we go out like production scouting and looking at locations and stuff, I'm like, Could, this is this is fun, guys, right? And they're like, yeah, Luke, we're doing work right now. Like, so <laughs> chill out. You know what I mean? Because I've never- So hungry. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> we're getting food after this, right, guys? And they're like, just chill out, writer, okay? You don't know anything about this process. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's visual and we're not really visual cats. Yeah. But I don't know, we get a lot of help and we sort of just like, try to have just realistic conversations what can we do because yeah. like i love independent film and i don't think things have to be extravagant but at the same time we want to look professional and we don't want this to look like you know we didn't put time and effort into it because we certainly have yeah and also like just being honest you know like when something comes up or there's an issue like Sometimes there's just like you just there's no point in sugarcoating it like something sucks like not everything I mean this is a just such a labor of love like there are there have been so many times where things have just completely just like cracked in half but like it's just being a support system for each other and also like Luke is incredibly talented and hilarious and so he has really great ideas. Luke and know? I are both shaking but, our heads at yeah, this oh, comment. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> yes. do that for one second. But like so we're always bouncing ideas off of each other, you know, and there are so many times where Luke's ideas are just better. Like and they're mm. funnier and maybe vice versa with something he's working on. So we're always in conversation about ideas and like again, I think it's like a humbling thing, you know. We have to be humble enough to be able to work together. Because mm-hmm. if we weren't, I don't think we could. I love this. Uh, what, what you said earlier about the collaboration here in Chicago and coming to grad school, starting to work with people uh, in the film community. How have you guys felt about the film community here? Like meeting people. You mentioned that you have other producers. Uh-huh. How did you get in touch with them? Mostly through school. Um, but, you know, there's um, IFP, Independent Film Project. So they um, are helpful. They do a lot of like different pitch competitions things like that um it's it, it's it's awesome and it's also sad so you know we have because when when we all graduated you know there's a, a really easy not easy to get into but a really direct avenue to kind of doing this thing and it's starting off at the bottom like an intern or a pa and you could try to get a job on you know, chicago fire one of our friends moved to new york to work on a show to be a pa which is awesome and that's a total route but i i'm just i think i'm just too stubborn so i want to just make content and then see what happens and if i make a bunch of content and i end up being a pa cool but at least i did the thing but the thing that i love it here and i wish that there were so many more filmmakers that wanted to stay here but the thing is is that everybody not everybody but a lot of people leave you know because and i get it that's where the money's at um but there's people like Joe Swanberg and that is really adamant about staying here and doing film work here and having a financing office here for Chicago filmmakers. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just there's so much heart here and there's so many talented actors here, you know. Well, especially you've got like the theater scene here mm-hmm. that you can totally pull from. I mean, Chicago theater is some of the most respected in oh, the yeah. country, sure. if not like the world at this point. Yep. So, I mean, it's got to be just a wealth of talent to pull yeah, from. Yeah, and people that are really like hungry, but also um, 
people that have respect for themselves as actors, like they're not going to take every job, even if it means money, because they don't believe in it or they don't believe in the. I don't know, like social justice of it or something. Right. I wanted to ask about what the what the attitude here is compared to somewhere like L.A. and New York. Now, both of you went to L.A. for a time. Yes. Correct. So you were out in L.A. Were I you- lived in L.A. from for like about se- seven months in 2012. All right. And Luke, you did an internship out there with Funny or Die, correct? Yeah, I did. I was out there from like March to like July mm-hmm. and I was at... Uh, Funny or Die uh, in Gary Sanchez Productions, and then also another uh, small management company called mm-hmm. Stagecoach Entertainment. And I was really an cool. intern, too. I interned for a social media management company. Interesting. Yeah. And what did you guys feel about, well, how did you guys feel about L.A.? Uh, I'm from California. I'm from Northern California, born and raised. Mm-hmm. But um, So I got it. I have a lot of family that lives there. Um, I love L.A., but I found it to be... Um, I just felt really isolated. Honestly, I just kind of, I was really lonely. Um, I felt like if I could have stayed a little bit longer, maybe met more people, maybe I would have been like really working it. Um, but I got cast in a show at second city and I just did that for six months. And then I basically moved cause I just was over it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, <sighs> I, I I mean, I really love L.A. It just wasn't right. It wasn't ready. But I would much rather collect a amazing group of collaborators here and work right now work here. That's mm-hmm. what I would. Because it's also like we have friends that live in L.A. and they're writing a lot, but they're not producing stuff because it's so hard to produce stuff mm-hmm. while you're there. Everyone's talking about it, but there's little to no there's no progress. Yeah. And you don't a, get that isolating feeling here as much? No, but probably because I've lived here for like eight years now. I went to undergrad here. Um, I don't know. I, I I definitely feel like it's just we need each other more here. And I feel like in L.A. there's a big attitude of I don't need anybody. Yeah, there's it's pretty big welcoming arms, I would say. Pretty yeah. much. And uh, Connor and I have been doing this podcast for a little while, and the thing I was inspired by was the way that people who make films in Chicago or who are in the film community talk about it and the way that they participate with one another. I mean, in any sort of situation, there's going to be, you know, some people don't get along, whatever. Some people don't collaborate. They don't know each other, whatever. But um, pretty much everyone we've talked to has really been a super open Mm -hmm person yeah and um i'm yeah it's really nice to keep hearing that every time oh yeah with you guys as well and also like if you're an asshole chances are here you're just not gonna work no, yeah like chicago gets like, rid of yeah. assholes like, quick yeah, yeah like or it's just like oh my friend told me that you were hard to work with i will never work with you because yeah. you're one person told so like be nice or you gotta go i love this that's a support system yeah and sure. even with um you know, even in the music scene, I found that as well. Like, if the community finds out you're a dickhead, like they're just gonna completely shut you out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, for, don't for be better, a dick. yeah, exactly. For better or for worse, um, be cool in the Chicago the Chicago community. Just be cool. Just yeah. be a yeah. cool person, yeah. please. Well, just I know, be like, cool. yeah. Well, Luke had a, a very different kind of time in Los Angeles that I did. Yeah, though. I've gotten to hear a his lot. Was of a, his was more. <laughs> also, his was under a scholastic framework where sure. mine wasn't. Yeah. I I don't know. I guess I guess what I would say is La La Land lied. Uh, <laughs> no, 
Uh, no, I don't know. Really? I, what? <laughs> did, you guys, did you guys know that movie isn't like true? No, I uh, no, I went out there and I don't know. I'm not from California. I'm from like the heart of Illinois, like cornfield towns where they don't. They're not only like, hey, not only does film school not exist, but you can't make a movie. Like you know what I mean? So being out there, it was like really different. Like because even Chicago itself is blue collar. You know, like yeah, it's like like you were saying, like Chicago gets rid of assholes, and L.A. Is just embraces assholes. Like, so Chicago you, gets rid of assholes, and, and they, then they all go to go LA, to LA. Yeah. where they where they can be celebrated properly. Yeah. Like it's it's unreal. Uh, I just I don't know. I think if I were to go back out there, it would be after we you know made some things. Like even even from just like a monetary sort of perspective, like producing things out there independently just doesn't happen. Like, I mean, I guess, yeah, it does, but it's way more difficult to get anything done. It's a like, property tax it's in not California. Like, it's insane. Right. It's exactly. not like, hey, like me and Marissa can, could shoot a short film this weekend if we wanted to and like just take a couple days and like it wouldn't be, you know what I'm saying? Like, but to, the, to do that sort of thing, it just costs a lot more. And the attitude out there very much is um, everybody's expendable. Yeah. Uh, so. You mentioned there's a, there's a tax? Well, it's like every state has a different filming tax. Oh, yeah, I never even knew that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's it's middle of the road here. It's a right. little higher because of Chicago. But, mm, like, sure. if you went an hour to Indiana, you could shoot a movie for mm. half the price. Right. Just because right. of you, if you have to pay... F- for the film tax, but California's and New York's are both just astronomical. Yeah. It's just, it's absolutely insane. As you might imagine. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. So I want to ask about the uh, the production company that you guys have formed, BBF. Uh, yes. Correct. Does that stand for something? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, it does. It stands for, you want to say it? You want, let's say it together. You ready? <laughs> One, two, three. Boobies, Boobies Butthole Friendship. friendship. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think professional, that. guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that's why time. it's BBF. I mean, well, like, <laughs> we have an LLC for the movie. Oh, yeah. And I have to put BBF on all these paper, all this paperwork and- I mean, they were like, is that an acronym? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, You bet your sweet ass it is. Um, we were in a f- class, and I wrote Boobies Butthole Friendship on the whiteboard for no reason. I was just being a loser. And Luke was like, okay. Let's start a film production no, company. Yeah, but, well, why, why, did, why did that actually stick? Here's, well, because we're weird. But yeah. the thing is, like, we had sort of been like, hey, it would be fun to make things together. And then one day Marissa just goes, Luke, look what I did, man. And like, so it's like, and like, like walked me to like the the classroom. Like, we're, like I'm like we're 24 and like you know 20, whatever you are at that point. <laughs> and he's just like, check it out, man. Like, 26 butthole friendship on the board. And I was like, Mark's going to be so pissed, man. <laughs> and like, he just kind of like came in there and he was like, I, I don't. And he was know, like, who, who, who wrote this? Why, Marissa, why did you do this? Like basically. He and I was it. just like snickering the whole time. Like, it was so funny. And I don't know. I think the joke just stuck to me. I was like, well, that's weird and bizarre and nobody well, ever gets it. she's weird. And what a, what a fun way to like, if we ever like have other meetings, we can be like, you want to know what this stands for? It's like, even if like we're pitching poorly or something, we're like, Listen. I got something funny locked and loaded if you want to hear it. Yeah. It's also <laughs> just it's different and we were thinking about like we actually were thinking about calling ourselves the cohen brothers yeah <laughs> <laughs> just being like and yeah. being like guys guess what the fucking cohen brothers are making Did film. You know the cohen brothers are producing phil no yeah. relation yeah. yeah no no relation but that's all you have to say we really cohen brothers, no relation. 
Um, That's too bad. That's really too bad. I would have loved to have seen that. This produced by the Cohen really? brothers, yeah. but hey, not so the Cohen brothers. But like the Cohen, like C O H E N, just a bunch of Jews. Co- Cohen yeah. brothers. Cohen. Um, but then we made. We had to make a logo to go along with because the other production company that we're working with is called Mondo Machine. Yeah. So we wrote. Uh, I wrote and we produced a short called Pancakes for President, and. Um, we needed a logo, and so me and Luke just we whipped it together. Just etched one up. You want to see it? I do. Right. Yeah. It's basically, it's, I'll describe it for you while I pull it up. It's like, basic, picture like a men's room, women's room sign. Yeah. But then Marissa took that and in, yeah. in Microsoft Paint <laughs> drew crude boobs on the woman <laughs> and a dick and balls on the guy. <laughs> And that one's me as the guy, and she's well, the woman. Oh, wow. That's so it's it. based yeah. off of real... Yeah. It's, ba- it's based on it's real based people. It's based in reality. Anatomically yeah. correct. Wow. Yes. Yeah. But again, it's like something that like we'll have now forever. Like, Well, yeah. I like I, I really like that because it's, you know, I, it, you could call it childish, I guess, but like... It doesn't really matter because it seems symbolic of the of the attitude that you guys are trying to take, which is not too serious. Wow. That is shocking. (laughs) (laughs) We literally, literally made it in five minutes. We will tweet that out on uh, we will tweet that out somewhere. Go us. Put that up on Twitter at Noco Cinema. At Cohen Brothers. At the Cohen Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) We're coming to get you. Yeah. Um so what what is to as we close here? What is uh, the timeline here for hopefully getting Phil the film done? Uh, well, we're going to be in production for probably twenty five days, um, not consecutive. Well, mostly consecutively because um, for the apartment scenes, we have to shoot them all in one chunk because of Airbnb and stuff. Sure. Um, so we're going to do that, and then it's going to be in post-production. So it really just depends on what kind of post-production we're working with. Ideally, we'll be able to send it to a post-house, which is you know just a bunch of people all in the same place, so it gets done faster, and mm-hmm. it's just people working together quicker. You know, I wish I had an answer. Post-production just takes so long. Yeah, I mean, that's Um, the thing is I think people kind of forget how long of a process this can be, especially on an indie project. Mm Because, I mean, um, I I totally forgot to ask, what was the fundraising process? How much of it is personal? We're still in it to win it. Yeah. Um, I did a GoFundMe, and I got $10,000 for for the film that we've – we're doing well on that. Um, have a couple donors. Um, we actually just started reaching out to different Chicago brewers, distilleries, and coffee companies to wow. do product placement. And we've been getting like a killer response over the last yeah, couple of days. They're down for it. Oh yeah. yeah. Like we I just got hit up from a Malort company. Oh god. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like I love it. Let's, yeah, that's yeah. it. Oh. That's yeah, it. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus Christ, this is the most Chicago movie ever I made. Know. <laughs> that's kind of the that's kind of the angle. Naked we're large now. white men. Yeah. yeah. Jepson's Malort. Yes. So you know, just being able to be like, hey, you know, getting small donations here and there, and then some places are like, we're so small, but we'll give you cases of beer to use for the film and stuff like that. So you know, it's just that like works. taking what we can get. Also, like I have a really just an amazingly supportive family that you know I've. I want I'm exercising everything I can do in my own power before being like, 
hey team need some help yeah um but i think the thing that we're gonna be just fine for shooting it's if we want to go through a post house and not use like graduate students it's yeah. gonna be costly absolutely um, but yeah i mean i feel like we we just have a lot of support around us and especially in the chicago scene like so many we're all just we're all aspiring so we just really want to do this thing and yeah. almost kind of sans money yeah that seems again this is something that i love hearing is um especially since it's been so long in the works is on you're in their third year right? yeah yeah is that you're going you're, you're going sans money but you're you're really f- you're following the passion mm-hmm. it's the the movie is what's important the money you can find ways yeah and if the movie is good the money will come i'm yeah, not absolutely. worried about it are you hoping for some screenings distribution definitely so we're working with ifp out of new york an independent film project so they um will most likely be hosting a screening for us um we're there are fiscal sponsors so like we get if we get big when we get if and when well we've gotten a couple big donations it's all tax deductible um and definitely here uh maybe we'll hit up the four hundy oh we'll we'll definitely oh yeah oh yeah um and you know ideally like i would love you know our goal i think is for netflix um we're shooting it in 4k um, so it, wow, really? Yeah, because that's all Netflix doesn't yeah, let they you do want, anything. Yeah, high, it needs uh, to be lower. 4K, needs to be Dolby, Atmos, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my dream, our, I mean, I think our dream is. Yeah, ours. For, it's our dream. Yeah, for film festivals, obviously, oh, yeah. Sundance, you know, go big or go home. Absolutely. Well, that is fantastic to hear. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming along. Marissa Lessman, Luke Taylor. Marissa is the screenwriter and Luke, one of the producers of Phil the Film. Uh, you can head over to Facebook.com. Just search uh, at Phil the Film and you can find their Facebook page over there. Are you guys on any other social media platforms? Where we uh, yes, we actually just got a social media manager um, last week. And yeah. she put us on Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, I would say definitely Twitter. It, it, it's probably happened like a week ago. Yeah, Do you know yeah. the, yeah. I'm, the social media. I got a, I got one Facebook. I post yeah. pictures of my dog and other things. And <laughs> just, no, no other things. I'm not up. I'm not up on it. Um, but we have a website that's getting revamped too. So fillthefilm.com has donation buttons and um, my name mm-hmm. and Luke's name. Yeah, and uh, you can email us if you feel. Like you wanted. I want to clarify something real fast too. If you go to our Facebook page, the header, the header, it is a wonderful drawing. But are they balls? It is or not, thank you. They are not balls. Oh hey, my not god, a, we were literally we were just like, talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I want to clear this up. I want to clear this up for the world because I've had this talk with her for quite a while. Why, while today, today, this was the most me. important thing that we needed to get. Yeah, while by. while a beautiful drawing, and it is, it is um supposed to be a man's. Naked ass. Yeah, but it's Not too juicy. It makes sense. Naked. It's too those round. Are, those are yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are. I like the ambiguity plums. though. Yeah. Okay. It could be balls or enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. At the end that of the day, fantastic. we're going to see all of those fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking about asking the my friend in Mexico, my my model, to do, to do the to ass. Do, yeah. To do like some kind of butt shot, but. Then, I, then we'd have to have another conversation and then Where he's translate. Where like, am I now? He's like, yeah, he's now, like, now, now you don't understand. Now I'm in the movie. Oh, great. Oh, well, man. again, fill the film. 
uh, written by Marissa Lessman, produced in part by Luke Taylor. Thanks again for coming on the show, guys. And now, uh, wow, bow. And uh, please, and hopefully we'll have you guys back when the movie starts get when it gets finished and starts doing screenings. Yeah, uh, love to hear more about it. All right, we will be back in just a little bit here on NoCo Cinema. Remember, we are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. Back in just a bit. Welcome back again. You are listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGN Plus, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. Tom Hush and Connor Cornelius here for our sort of potpourri segment, our after credits. And we really want to get into the month of October. So we're getting into the fall film season. And there's a lot of great stuff on the horizon. The holiday film season is going to be crazy. I'm sure fall, we were looking at massive releases, big comic book movies coming out. <laughs> of course. Of course, Thor Ragnarok, The Justice League, uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. We're hitting some serious strides in terms of blockbuster entertainment. But October has always been a special month for film people because it uh, it's the month of Halloween. It's getting colder. It's, it's getting, getting easier to be inside. Yeah, absolutely. You want to snuggle up with a good film, and you also want to snuggle up with some scary movies. Exactly. You know, the days are getting long, or the nights are getting longer, rather. And uh, it's just there's something in the air. Whenever we get to October, I always get so psyched because I know, oh, it's going to be kind of like scary movie season. Like you know, it feels right to break out some horror. The leaves are changing, all that kind of. It's it's a weird sort of Pavlovian <laughs> reaction. To I'm salivating air. for some horror. Yeah, it really brings me back because when I was, I know when I was a kid, there's nothing uh, more fall than pumpkin patches, apple picking, and watching people get dismembered on film. So, <laughs> so yeah. we have curated. Uh, Tom and I both have sort of similar lists. Obviously, a few things will pop up here and there, but we have curated a list. For, if you are interested in uh, a list that will keep you busy every day with a horror film throughout the month of October. Absolutely. We'll be posting our personal lists over on facebook.com slash podcast, and that way you can follow along with us. We'll also uh, maybe, you know, we'll be throwing up on social media our, like, brief reviews of these movies, whether we've seen them, whether we haven't seen them before, and kind of give our recommendations and see how things have changed for horror. Um, So let's get a little bit into our respective lists. Now, I personally am a big fan of rewatches. I really love going back to movies that I already maybe enjoyed or even some that I wasn't so sure on, wasn't so sold on, and kind of revisiting them. Connor, what kind of what kind of vibe did you go for with the list? So, I went through I went through my just my on-hand list of horror films that I love. So, those all made it on there, and I'm sure that repeat listeners will be recognizing a few of the titles but i also went for some things that i'm not really sure if they are horror but movies Mm. that were maybe more qualified to be called thrillers but just absolutely horrified me while i was watching them peewee's playhouse Playhouse, (laughs) uh, for example but um particularly of the of that ilk i would say um silence of the lambs 
is it a horror movie or is it a thriller? That is a very good question because some people like to cite it as the as one of the one of if not the only horror film to ever win best picture. But they would it's it's difficult because it's a weird place to be in with Silence of the Lambs because it kind of transcends this idea of what we think is horror. It's weird to lump in movies under the same banner that are so wildly different. Like there is Friday the 13th and Silence of the Lambs are not really the same type of movie. No, it's hard. And that's where, I mean, you get into sub genres of horror even. And some people might suggest that thriller is a sub genre of horror. Um, it's the same thing with The Exorcist as well, where The Silence of the Lambs elevates itself above its subject material to be more dramatic, be more dr- like drama driven. Like if you look at um, if you look at The Exorcist, The Exorcist is really kind of a family drama with supernatural elements thrown in. And uh, it's about crisis of faith. It's about, you know, dealing with one's own lack of belief, but in the context of this horrifying situation. And the same thing goes for Silence of the Lambs. It's about more than just the murders, in a sense. It's about, you know, Clary Starling as a character, how she grows, understanding the mind, like psychosis and all this sort of stuff. It goes, it feels like it goes deeper than this movie is trying to scare you. Right. It's not a tale of survival where the people in it are in imminent death constantly, which is what I feel like people probably consider would be that's what the horror genre is. Yeah. I, I would put it, I think it is more than welcome on a list of movies to watch in October. I think it goes for horror and it's just, it's just a different type of horror. Yes. It's, it's very realistic as, as anybody who knows, I mean, I, I mean, define realism, but, uh, I think it's a pretty realistic approach to horror as opposed to guy in a mask killing teenagers or, or like supernatural horror, things of that nature. I would put that on the list. I'd even I'd put like Psycho on the list for yeah. sure. Psycho's on there for me because even though Same. it's not horror, as we like to think of it, it is horrifying and it plays towards fear. So I would put that on the list. And then I would say the only other contentious thing that I put on there that I feel as though it belongs but others may not is Green Room with Anthony Elkin. Yeah, that's a tough one. And Patrick Stewart. I actually have a different film by uh, Jeremy Saulnier the director of green room on here called murder party. Oh, that was, I believe that's his first feature is murder party. And I have not seen it. I was just like, Oh, this is probably a horror. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jeremy Sonier does some pretty horrifying things, especially in green room. Um, I, I would can, I'd consider it maybe just earlier in the month. Yeah. It's, it's, as, it uses horror. It's just, it's so suspenseful. Yes. Like it's, I consistently feel that green room is one of the most tense 90 minutes of your entire life. Like it's, it gets fucking crazy. Like that, that was one of my favorite movies. Was that 2016 or 2015? I think it was 16. Yeah. That one of my favorites of 2016, really a well-made tension just a boiler room of of tension yeah and i don't know if you are ever necessarily feeling horrified but you're not feeling good no 
I feel sick to my stomach yeah. during that movie, mm-hmm. and I, I love that it hits me on that visceral level. Um, on my own list, I'm definitely going to be paying a little tribute to uh, Mr. George A. Romero, going to try to make my way through all the dead films again, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, 1978, uh, Day of the Dead, and the 2004 Day of, Dawn of the Dead, which is directed by Zack Snyder, but I think is a really great remake. In the sense that he took the concept and did it his own Zack Snyder, like, Big Bang Pow sort of way. And I I saw that Dawn of the Dead first. Because that came out when we were, like, kids. That remake. As far as we knew, that was... That was it. Yeah. That was Dawn of the Dead. And I feel like it really marked the return of the zombie genre as, like, a driving force in horror cinema so as much as many problems as i have with Zack snyder's filmmaking i have to give him dawn of the dead because i think it was just a really good idea for a remake um what else what else maybe we could talk franchises yeah the big just the big horror franchises which yeah get on I I have I have the first I have just Halloween Friday the Thirteenth Nightmare on Elm Street I'm not sure if I want to get into sequel territory Yeah Okay Because I fair. not to say that the sequels are necessarily bad There are some pretty interesting places that they go <laughs> with the sequels to like Friday the Thirteenth like Jason X Holy Christ Jason in space Yeah Precisely like and even Nightmare on Elm Street goes some pretty weird places Uh I've one franchise I've got on there that's many very beloved by many is Hellraiser. I have never seen Hellraiser. Really? Never. Wow. And I know I would be crucified by some people for that because it is <laughs> it is really a standard and everybody knows the imagery like everybody knows the pinhead guy and like the the puzzle box mm-hmm. and everything like that. I just never got around to it. Um I was definitely not super into horror as a kid. I'm not like a lot of horror hounds who got in early. Like I, it took me a while to brave up to start watching horror films, and once I got hooked, I got hooked. So you're a Tom Hush horror puppy. <sighs> yeah. God. Yeah. Sorry. I was trying to. I was trying. And I feel like that may contradict what I said earlier about like, you know, it reminds me of younger times. And I did. I would say I got into horror probably when I was about like twelve, thirteen years old. Which I think there are people out there that when they got into horror, they got in much younger than that. And it wasn't like splatter horror. It was more like watching Svengoolie on on TV. Yeah, okay. And um, I, what a special experience. I would have loved to have been have gotten that experience as a kid. I feel like I totally missed out on Svengoolie. Like he, not like he stopped. He's still going. But uh, being young and watching that. And Matt, I, like just the feeling that people get watching horror like that, having it curated for them and things like that um do you have any surprise do you are there any that you feel like you are surprising yourself with or you haven't seen that you really want to you know texas chainsaw to? massacre 2 uh, <laughs> yeah kind of surprising ah! myself with that one <laughs> let me tell you about the chainsaw texas chainsaw massacre part 2 Dennis Hopper. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's all you need to say. Dual-wielding chainsaws. I think that movie is – it it was panned when it came out. (laughs) It was panned. And uh, it is genius because it is an incredibly clever satire of a genre that it helped create. Like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like a standard of slasher horror. Yeah, and it's maybe the best. Yeah, arguably the best and some one of those art artfully shot, 
because he, you know, Toby Hooper and his cinematographer use this beautiful kind of cinema verite style. It feels very real, very gritty. Uh, and something that I really love about the original is that they make you think there's a lot more blood than there actually is. It is not that gory of a movie. It's all so implied, and that's what I love about it. And I'm guess my feeling is that Toby Hooper then saw the Friday the Thirteenth, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, and he did not make part two until 1986. I think I think it was 86. It was like 13 years after the original. At at the very least, it's after sort of camp had become injected into the horror slasher. Right. It, it reached this level of ridiculousness. So. My feeling is that Toby Hooper, rest in peace, uh, took a look at the, this genre and said, this is hilarious. I'm going to satirize this with one of the like main figures of the slasher genre. And how genius is that? He's just like, I'm just going to take that. That's like just injecting that level of humor and self-awareness into it. Uh, really makes it a super fun watch. Yeah, it's just it's just really well done for what it is. I I really enjoy it. Tom, I wanted to ask: Do you have any genre crossover movies where like horror is playing with uh, another genre in it in the film? I guess. I mean, Alien kind of counts because it's horror sci-fi, but like sci-fi and horror really do kind of belong together. I think they are sort of strange. They they are definite bedfellows Absolutely. when it comes to because like. I mean, an alien just solidified that it be- like horror belongs in space, like it, on on in certain levels. Like there are some scary ass movies that take place in space. Like I think Event Horizon. Yeah, that was with great. Sam Neill. Is Sam wait? Is Sam Neill in Event Horizon? I know Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence is. Fishburne. That is probably what I'm thinking of. Um, but Event Horizon was terrifying. So horror can exist in a vacuum, is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, and then oh, I'm not sorry. No, and then you have to watch Evil Dead Two, because Evil Dead Two, Dead by Dawn, is horror comedy, possibly at its finest. Um, a lot of people, it's it's always interesting to think of like how why does horror and comedy go so well together? And I think a lot of it has to do with this appeal to base emotions. Fear and laughter, yes, and comedy—they're very base. They're very instinctual, and um, and they sort of interact with people in the same way, too, yeah. Because people like to share those feelings with other people. They yeah. like to laugh and they like to let it out if they're feeling funny, or yeah. they, if they're being scared. They like to yell. They like to let it out, and right? Share it, right? It's a it's a very visceral reaction to something, and to to the point of the sharing, I like that because watching a horror movie by yourself. It's fun. Like, I like watching a horror movie. I'll just watch a horror movie. But watching it with friends is, like, the best best part. Same thing goes for comedies because you can sit around and really let yourself laugh and kind of, like, enjoy the atmosphere. So, um, but Evil Dead 2 just blends those two so perfectly and it allows you to just keep pushing your – it keeps – it's just the idea of pushing your emotions up to this crazy height, getting the release, and then coming back down. The the anatomy of a scare I don't think is very different from the anatomy of a joke. There's the setup, there's the punchline, and the, like there's the setup and there's payoff. Yeah. They set up – The execution, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're on fire today. Oh, woo. So do you have any other uh, horror comedies on the list? I've got a few here. 
And I wanted um, one I, I might watch about as well. I might watch Army of Darkness, but I feel like that one's just really heavy on the comedy. I and I love Army of Darkness. Don't get me wrong, but I see that one more as a comedy film that happens to take place in medieval Europe than uh, a horror movie. Evil Dead Two is the perfect blending of comedy and horror. Uh, maybe Cabin in the Woods. Yep, that's on mine as yeah. well. Yeah, I think Cabin in the Woods is just fantastic. I mean, uh, Joss Whedon kind of a dickhead but you know what he that's a great it's movie a great him movie. and him and drew goddard really put together a very interesting take on the on the horror movie and kind of breaking it down to its that's it's so friggin postmodern. yeah it's very of its time and you know? i do love how the horror elements just sort of the parts where the audience if it had just been a regular horror movie where people are dying you find yourself laughing at it a little bit you know i get scared though oh yeah absolutely. i feel like they really like they blend it really well together yeah they? i think um that's that's really up there for genre crossover when it comes to horror what are some other ones you got i've got Shaun of the dead yeah edgar wright's Shaun of the dead that's have to that's a given american werewolf in london i like that movie i feel like i need to watch it again i would really recommend it i yeah i mean there's i watched it fairly recently and I guess it felt a little dated to me. It does. It but definitely I, does. And I know, again, this is probably committing sacrilege because people f- fucking love American Werewolf in London. John Landis. It's, yeah. That, real, that really is another horror comedy staple with up there with Evil Dead 2. I just don't I, – I guess when I watch Evil Dead 2 versus when I watch An American Werewolf in London – the jokes in Evil Dead 2 just land a little better for me. American Werewolf in London just feels like, I don't know, it's like Animal House meets horror sometimes for me in terms of, like, the jokes. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. I'll give I'll give them the makeup, though. One of the oh, most the- impressive uses of practical effects yeah. in any movie I've ever seen. That wolf is legitimately scary. Yeah. And I still, th- it, it scared me when I saw it recently. And when his friend shows up, like, he's in a, consistently deteriorating state of decay it's just fantastic a a very very good movie i just don't know if it works for me all the time i'll probably give it a rewatch though and then um are there any movies on there that you sort of going through your list that you're sort of surprised that are on there or or on the other side of that movies that have to be on the list i think the exorcist has to be on there yep i think it's the scariest movie ever made I'm sorry. I, like I know there are some people out there. Oh, this is dumb. Like, uh, d- like the effects don't hold up. There's something about the way that movie is made where it's just so terrifying, and the story behind it too. The real yeah, life, there's tragedies and yeah, weirdness. it's um, it's just fantastic. Um, another surprising one. I'm trying to think. Blair Witch Project. I think I'm ready to revisit. Really? Wow. Um, that one really got to me as a kid. Like. When I when I started getting into, I remember seeing it being advertised as when I when I was very young because I was okay. in 1999. I remember it being a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I and missed being, it. Really, I did. Yeah, I ne- I did not see it as a child. I just remember like the because I had older cousins and everything that were really at the right age to be like seeing this stuff. And I remember even going to the movies as a kid, the posters and the stick figure, like it just really got to me. And and I've always thought about it ever since. Even after years of parody and like the explosion of the found footage genre, um, nothing. I don't think anything has really captured 
it maybe paranormal activity is the closest thing to a real Blair Witch sort of situation but that original Blair Witch project if you really let yourself believe in the story of the film you it will freak you the fuck out it is really freaky I'm not hearing a lot of gore horror for me just I, as I go through my list and then yeah, yeah on I mean, yours as well I'm not super into uh like that Eli Roth level yeah. of gore and some people are they can get into it I like watching movies where the gore is used a little bit more where the where the even with uh slashers I'm not a huge slasher guy but like I said with Ta- Texas Chainsaw Massacre it's all about what you think you see Instead of what you actually see for me. Now, when you get movies like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, you get, especially when you get into later sequels, they become kind of ridiculous in terms of the gore. And uh, I've got Scream and Scream 2 on here. The Hills Have Eyes. Okay. Uh, the, the original. original yeah, yeah, the original Hills Have Eyes. Um, I do have Suspiria, which is Dario Argento, part of that Giallo Italian film, which is notoriously gory. Um, and. I'm just not always super into it. Okay. The gore when it comes to horror. I can I it's weird. I don't mind it when I see it in action movies. Like when I see it in Quentin Tarantino, I think it's aw- like I'm down for it. When I see it in horror, it's just like makes my skin crawl and to a point where I don't even want to continue watching. Yeah, I feel in the same I feel the same way. It sort of takes me out of the experience a little bit because if you look at enough fake blood, I think it just sort of it's like looking at a word multiple times, and then it just starts to look weird. You know, You're yeah. just sort of, it sort of takes me out of the realistic. Unless, yeah, unless it gets to that ludicrous level of gore, and when it comes to zombies as well, like I, I, there's so many exceptions to the rule. It's so weird. There's just times when it works for me, times when it doesn't work for me, and that's really all it is. Um, you know, and like Evil Dead, they take it to a ridiculous level. Like that's the oh, point yeah. is that they make it so over the top. Um, I even have the 2013 Evil Dead on here, and have you seen that one? I have, and at I the very end, when it's just raining blood, yeah, like I, and she has to rip her arm off, like it's just it's bonkers. I didn't like it. I you did didn't not like, like it? The remake. Ah, I got it. I got a real kick out of it. I yeah, I I don't know. I guess I had just seen the original Evil Dead, and I did a lot of like Wikipedia, you know, rabbit sure. holes with it, and then I saw the remake. I think I did all that just before the remake and then I was just like, oh, okay, well it's another Yeah, all right. It's another remake. Well, anyway, we're going to have our full list of what we're going to be watching this uh this October. Um 31 films. Actually, I will I will mention uh did you watch one today yet? Did I have not, one? but I'm going to later. Excellent. I had to get mine in early today. Yeah, <laughs> the host. Yeah, I watched The Host. So, first first recommendation right off the bat Watch the host. Um, if you have the Shutter streaming service, it's on there. But just track it down. It's worth your time. It's worth your money. Rent it. It's really good. It's a great Korean crossover monster movie that really uh, captures the humanity of the situation. It's it's not all about the monster. It's about the human characters at the center of it. And I think you'll understand what I mean when you get the chance to watch it. And if you have already watched it, let us know what you think. Actually, as any if you watch any of these horror films, let us know what you think of them. Write us a little review. You can um, put that on Facebook. Send it to us on Twitter, at NoCoCinema. Um, 
or if there's some movies that you think that we should watch, if I need to bump off something off this list for like a real good recommendation, please give us a recommendation. Head on over to Facebook.com at No Coast Cinema Podcast or Twitter at No Coast Cinema and let us know what you're watching. Let us know what we should watch. Uh, Connor, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. This is a great month. It's going to be a great month. Great month for a film coming out. Great month for you know revisiting all these horror classics. Uh, this has been No Coast Cinema here on WGM plus we are your guide to cinema here in the city of chicago and all around the world i'm tom hush i'm connor cornelius and we will see you next week 